Good evening. This shiur will be Bezrat Hashem, Leilui Nishmat Devora Bat Mercedes, and also Leilui Nishmat Shulamit Bat Yafa, and Lehavdi Lerefuat Omer Ben Yahel, and Yehuda Ben Chaya, Refua Shlema, and Lehavdi Leilui Nishmat Miriam Bat Yeta. ברוך השם, there are rumors today that Russia has already started to attack Ukraine. I don't know how true it is. We'll find out tomorrow, I guess. And if that's the case, like I said last week here, who knows what's going to be. Just before I go into the topic tonight, next Monday I won't be here. Please remember, next Monday, no lecture. I'm going to LA for the weekend. I have a weekend seminar and then another lecture with a very important Rebbe, the grandson of the Shomer Emunim, a holy man, very big tzaddik, comes from Eretz Israel. All he does, he goes, he meets all kinds of secular people and with his warm love of Israel, Avat Israel, he brings a lot of people close to the religion. Different style, you know. In a, he's an older man, uh, very serious. And the way I met him, he came to when my father passed away three years ago in Israel. He came all the way from Yerushalayim to Rehovot. It's not easy to pay a shiva call, you know, to comfort us. And since then, we became uh, in touch. He's coming to LA for a few events. And we're going to do Sunday night, an event in a valley. Bezrat Hashem, hopefully we're going to have a lot, of, uh, a lot of people there. And for those who did not register yet, we have a wonderful Shabbaton, English and Hebrew, the usual annual Shabbaton of Idabrut organization, Rabbi Zamir Cohen and myself, with an amazing singer, Danishman, unbelievable singer and performer. And uh, I think they still have some rooms left, not that many, but the, I always finish them by the last two or three days before the, the end. All rooms will be sold out, Bezrat Hashem. So, anyway, so we don't know. Maybe there's a war starting now. Maybe it's only a rumor. Eventually we'll find out. Something else happened today. The social media of Donald Trump is opening up. It's the grand opening. It's, he called it Truth. Even in a name, he pinched the Democrats, the leftists. Meaning by us, you're going to find the truth. By you, it's all lies, which is true. Happened to be true. I don't know if by him it's going to be all true. That's not what I say. We will find out in a few months. But by them, it's all lies. That's for sure. All they do and all they say, everything is wicked. It's all against Hashem. And... Uh, I hope that finally now they're going to really let people speak, freedom of speech. People who are righties, not just lefties, will also have a stage to express their own opinions. It's starting with iPhones, and then it's going to go to Android in a week or two, and let's see how it's going to work. I know usually people, it's hard for them to change, but I really recommend to get rid of the Facebook 
If you can get rid of this leftist that destroys the world, especially Mark Zuckerberg, one of the most wicked people in the world, to give him all the billions to someone like that, he betrayed everything Jewish you can imagine. All his donations go to the enemies of Israel. He married a non-Jewish woman. Nothing about him, nothing, nothing that relates to Judaism. His social media destroyed the life of millions of people every month in the world with all the Lashonara and all the things that they do. Not to talk about the spying, that they spy about people. If you put a post two minutes later, you, you begin to get advertisement and all kinds of things like this. You know? Let's see how it's going to work. All right? I, I really hope it's going to work. So anyway, Baruch Hashem on Shabbat, we read Parashat Kitisa with one of the biggest tragedies in uh, Jewish history, which it's the golden calf. The golden calf, is, it wasn't just an event of idol worshipping. It's something that affects us until today. The Gemara say that even though Hashem changed his decision to wipe out the entire nation, and restart a new nation with Moshe Rabbeinu. That was the original decree. Moshe was able to be a good lawyer and convince God to, the word to forgive us is not exactly accurate because when you forgive, you don't give any punishment. If you have a child and you forgive him for what he did, that's basically, you forgive means that it never happened. It's like it never happened. Actually, sometimes when you forgive a person who hurt you, your relationship with them can become better than before. Meaning it was actually working to improve the relationship. You know how it is? Sometimes I see in Shlombait, couples wants to break up, they want to get divorced, they come, you give them the right advice, you teach them what does it mean to be in relationship. And then they come back together in a much better way than they were before. You know, I have a two of my students, two brothers, each one of them by himself is a very nice person. But between them, it's like a cat and a mouse. So every time I met with them, they were in a fight. <laughs> Even last night in Lakewood, I was there. I said, Where, where's your brother? Why is there? So we don't talk again. I said, again? Two seconds he took me, I took him, I took the other one, yalla. Give a big hug. <laughs> you see from the body language how they wanted it. But you also see how the ego works in our life. The ego destroys us. As soon as the ego falls down, right away they give such a hug like the best buddies. So I took the advice of Aaron Cohen. That's how Aaron Cohen used to do it. How do you do it? When you have two people in a fight, right now their ego and their anger is in effect. How do you remove the ego and the anger? Right? It's all about pride, ego. What? He, he should apologize to me. No, he should apologize to me. Uh, it's his fault. It wasn't my fault. Enough is enough. Every time he's doing it, you know how it is. Satan plays with your head. Why you should do it, you always give up. This time it's his turn to apologize. You know all this. 
So Aaron, he had a very good trick. He comes to Reuven. Reuven, I actually spoke now to your brother. He's so ashamed from what he did to you. He said he loves you. He doesn't understand why you guys don't talk. He actually, he said that you're the best guy. Then he goes and said to Shimon the same thing about Reuven. Immediately you break the ego and you remove the anger. Because now, wow, he said about me I'm the best. He, wow, he regretted for what he said. He didn't really mean it. Immediately the anger and the ego goes out the window. Once you remove it, in two seconds they, they're going to hug. That's it. All you have to do is to remove the obstacle on the way. That's, by the way, it's called in the, in the Torah language, it's called Dvekut. V'atemet dvekim ba'ashem elokechem, chayim kulchem hayom. Dvekut means attachment. When you attach to someone or to somebody. What does it mean, attach? You can be attached to Hashem. How do you make yourself attached to Hashem? The attachment can only be when you remove the obstacle. Who can, tell, who can raise his hand or her hand and say, what are the obstacles that cause a person not to be attached, glued to Hashem? What are the obstacles in life? If you have to name a list of things that cause you not to be madly in love with Hashem, meaning what does it mean madly in love, in case you don't understand, for those of you who never been in love before, so I'll explain to you. The Rambam say that a person has to be in love with Hashem just like he's in, a lo- in love with a woman. Now the great legendary Oli Rambam, 850 years ago, explained how a man should love a woman. He also gave an explanation because the Rambam understands that not everybody had this merit in his life. So the Rambam say, what does it mean to be completely in love with a woman, that every second in your mind, it's only about her. When is she going to come? When is she going to call? What she's going to make? What she's going to say? If I give her this, what's going to be a reaction? And occupy completely your mind and your thought. That means you forget what day it is. You forget if you ate. You forget if you didn't eat. If the food is not good, you don't make a big deal out of it. If you lost today a lot of market money in a stock market, the heck with that. Why? You're happy. Once the love is gone, every $5 you lose bothers you. If there's no salt in the food, you're ready to kill the, the, the chef. Why? Because there's nothing to relax your mind. So the Ramban says the same way that a person can reach this level, that's how he has to be in love with Hashem. This is what you see everywhere you go in the shuls. That it says this sign, Shiviti Hashem tamid. That Hashem is always in front of me. Meaning, it's like a magnet. Like my heart goes out. This is how David HaMelech was. You see hundreds of verses in Tehilim. Hashem would not put lies in a Tanakh, obviously. Hashem, despite lies. Midvar Sheker Tirchak. It's written in the Torah. Dover Shkarim lo ikon leneged enai. Someone who lies, I can't look at him. Needless to say, help him or cooperate with him or give him what he wants. I can look at him. Dover shkarim lo ikon leneged enai. If he stands in front of me, it's like we say, oh, if I see this guy, I want to vomit. You're so disgusted from someone. As soon as you see them, you get a panic attack. 
shortage of breath. What happened, Moshe? <gasps> Oof, my biggest enemy is here. Let's go. Why can't, I'm allergic to him. I can't see him. <laughs> uh, we, many years ago, uh, there was a big rasha, many years ago. So, one day Rabbi Aderet, Rabbi Aderet is a serious tzaddik, devoted, devoted to Avodat Hashem, all his life. He's in his 70s now. From the day he remembered himself, he was a servant of Hashem, Eved Hashem. Complete watching the eyes, complete devotion, tefillah. Ne I never saw him sitting, never, in a synagogue. Never. He stands from the beginning to the end. You never find him sitting. Comes in the morning, the davening starts, until the end, he stands the entire time. Not easy when you're older, no? You know, it's not easy. Plus, mikveh every day, love of Torah, chesed, uh, helping, made so many families in Great Neck and in other places, Balei Tshuva. Bekitsur, I wish all of you to have such a file when you get to your 70s. So one time, he came back from Israel, <laughs> and I said to him, how was the flight? This is how... Guess who I saw on a flight? I say, who? That famous Raja. He didn't say it. He just say who he saw. And I already say, oh, the, that famous Raja. And what did you do? He said, I ran to him. And said, oh, I'm so happy to see you. <laughs> and shook his hand. <laughs> That's, by the way, the biggest punishment you can give a wicked person, your enemy. If you cross the street or you leave the room, that's not a punishment for him. It's a relief. Good, he left. I don't have to see him. But if you run to him and give him a hug, wow. You kill him. Why? Because he, you have to understand, your enemy constantly speaks Lashon Ara about you. Constantly speak bad about you. As soon as you come and be nice to him, his conscience kills him. That's the way Hashem made the people. Each one of us has an alarm light. Warning, warning. Same light is screaming and beeping when something that you do is against morality. So when someone that you speak so bad about and you try to hurt... He runs to you with such a warm smile and give you a hug or whatever the case is. He can look at his eyes. Your entire body twists. Even when you're now pretending to hug him, if he knows body language, in one second he knows that you're actually suffering from the case. But if you want your enemy to hug him and he gives you a smile and he hugs you... Then you know, first of all, you're really happy about this, this peace offering. And you also know he did not speak anything bad about you. That's why he has no problem looking in your eyes and give you a hug. Straightforward. Not twisted the whole body. Some people, they can give a hug. Not because they speak bad about you. Because this is their nature. They're very cold. Their nature, that's the way it is. That's the nature. They grew up in some countries and everyone there is cold. Everything is official. There's no warmth. The food is cold. The food is sweet. 
Nothing there is spicy, nothing is salty, nothing is burning the scalp. So people grow up in such a cold mentality, it looks actually strange when they see two people hug, when they see each other. It, it, they can't actually understand, how can it be? Two, two people who just met give each other a hug. <laughs> so people like this, even if they like you, it's hard for them to hug you, even their own children. They can't give a hug to their own children. You see the entire body twist to the side. Why is it? Because it's their nature, not because they don't like the, their own son. It's just the nature of the people. One of the ways the Torah, the Torah is, to, is actually to educate a person to be warm and loving, friendly, always to be the first one to say hi, always to smile to everyone. You know, and it's very interesting because, first of all, a lot of people think that you have something against them. You go in your office, you work in a company, you have uh, colleagues over there. You have a sour face, always angry or sad or whatever, and people see that you are around them with such a face. What do you think the reaction is? Probably cannot stand me. Every time he sees me, he has this face, this angry face, this sad face, barely say hello. Never give a smile. So people begin to uh, feel resentment. That's not good. It's not good for you also, not just for them. So anyway, David Amelech, everything he says Hashem approved. That's why it's in the Tanakh. So how many times you read in Tehillim, Tzama Nafshi, my soul is so thirsty to you, God. Like I can't live a, a second without thinking about you. You're always in front of me. Everything you do is, is uh, like oxygen to me. You know, all kinds of words like this. Hundreds of times. Imagine what kind of wonderful life you have. Imagine. Even today, when people love someone, they love, but life is not easy. Life is not a picnic. There is so much struggle when it comes to health, Parnassa, Situation in the world, problem with the children, you know, so many other issues. That's actually sabotage the, the great feeling about being in a healthy relationship. Because there's so many obstacles, problems, this, that, you have to deal, government, who knows, police. So many things, your money, people bother you. Everyone with his problems in life. But when you're in love with Hashem, that means you're in a high level of emuna and confidence. I just made a wonderful lecture in Great Neck two weeks ago, faith, emuna. It doesn't even have 50% of the normal views. Why? Because people are foolish. How many times I have to repeat it? They see the name, oh, I already have faith in Hashem. Do you really expect me to speak two hours about one topic? You really, by this, after all these years, you think I'm gonna focus on one topic and speak two hours just about it? All the lectures is spontaneous anyway. It goes from one thing to another. So we have to name it something. We call it fate. How much from the lecture is fate? 10 minutes, 20 minutes, the most. It's two hours lecture. Why, there's so many other things there. People see the name, they skip. Why? Pure stupidity. Pure stupidity. No other words for it. 
Why? It's actually one of the best lectures in, uh, in recent time. Very encouraging, very inspiring. Well, people go by names. Imagine if I call the lecture Parashat Truma. You'll have 80% less views. Well, ma, Parashat Truma? What is it? Someone asked me, Rabbi, I don't have, I, don't, I look at all your lectures. You have lectures about almost every parasha in the Torah, but I don't see parasha Tetzave. <laughs> it reminds me of a joke. One guy, he walks in the street and he sees a store, front store, storefront, with a big clock in the window. Clock. He says, wow, this guy probably fixing watches. Okay, let me go inside. He goes in. He see a Hasidish rabbi there, beer, peos, <laughs> black hat. He said to him, you fix watches here? He said, no. <laughs> what makes you think I fix watches? What is it, 47th Street here? He said, so, I, I don't know. So what are you? He said, I'm a moel. I circumcise babies. So he said to him, so why did you put a clock in the window? He said, what did you want me to put? <laughs> What else, what else could I put in the window? I'm a boy, like a doctor. I come, I cut, and I leave. That reminds me about a kid. Every day after school, he comes to a watch store, and there's a nice watch over there, and he stares at it like this. Every day after school, he stands for an hour and look at the watch. Like this, every day, every day, my watch, OCD. <laughs> One time, boom, he smashed the glass, took the watch, and ran. Someone saw him from the yeshiva. He ran after him. He said, what, did you just steal the watch? He said, yes. Oh, but it's not allowed to steal. It's, it's a sin from the Torah. He said, let me ask you. What's better? One time lot ignov or five million time lot achmod? Lot Achmod means don't desire something that's not yours. Every day I stand there for hours. Every second is Lot Achmod, Lot Achmod, Lot Achmod. Lot. Don't desire something that's not yours. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Lot Achmod. So he said, I came to the conclusion, every day I stand by the window for hours. Every second it's a sin from the Torah. I already have million sins. Why don't I just steal it once and I have one sin? No more lo tachmod. What do you have to say about this genius boy? It's a good halacha argument or a stupid halacha argument? What he say? It's true or not true? Every second you desire something is not yours. You see your friend born a nice suit. Wow, I wish it was mine. I wish it was mine. I wish it was mine. That's a sin from the Torah. Not that you want him to lose it. It's a different problem. Let's call Tsar Ein. Jealousy. You're not jealous that he has it. Right? Let him have it. But why couldn't I find it in a store? I was there. How come I didn't see this tie? Where did you get it? Macy's. When? Last week. I was there. What day? Wednesday. I can't, I can't believe it. I was there. I didn't see it. 
Every time you see it, what a fool I am. I was there, how come I didn't see it? That's, that's a sin from the Torah. But he doesn't want him to lose it. He just say, why I didn't buy it? That's Lot Ahmod. Right? So the question is now, this boy, now, every second that he was desiring this watch, it's a sin from the Torah. Now when he stole it, it's one sin. True or false? Let's say nobody saw that he stole it. No Chilul Hashem. He put uh, something on his face, stole it, and ran, and nobody knows that he was a Jew, nothing. Then what? I'm going to give you a hint. It's still a stupid argument. But you have to give me the reason why. You understand the question or no? He cannot buy, obviously. It's a nice, expensive watch. It's a little kid. It's a 13 years old kid. How is he going to buy a nice watch? doesn't have money. So he stole it. I remember when I was in uh, school, uh, in ninth or 10th, uh, no, actually, what, you know what? It was 8th grade. My family went to America. You know, in those days, to go to America, you had to be rich. Nobody could afford a trip, family trip to the East Coast, West Coast. Everyone was poor back then. So they went to America, and when they came back, they got me a watch with calculator on it. No one in Israel ever saw such thing. Do you know what it was? It's like better than winning the lottery. Do you know how I fell in love with school from that moment on? Before the watch arrived, I didn't want to go to school. It was a mamash torture. Once I got the watch, oh my God, I didn't sleep from excitement. At 7 a.m. already I was ready, checking it, make sure that the sleeve won't cover it. And I go all day like this, you know, wow, wow, I have a headache. And everybody who saw it, wow, where did you get it? And Especially in Israel, when you have math tests, they don't give you a calculator. It's not America. You have to calculate with your head. Nobody even knew that such a watch exists. So when I had a, a math test, I come with a long sleeve and with a pencil, tak, 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 everything quickly, get 100 on every test. <laughs> Why? Because no, no teacher ever thought of such a thing. You know? In a watch. I was the star of the school. Until other kids started to get it. That's it. The party was over. Then they started to make it in Chinatown, $3 a watch. Every other person in the world had it. Nothing special. So imagine a watch like this. Who can afford in Israel back then? Anyway, Rabotai, the, the calculation of the kid was not good for one reason. It's because once you steal something, every second that you have it in your position, it's a sin. Why? Because you have an obligation from the Torah to return it, and this obligation exists every second. As a verse in the Torah, you have to return the stolen good. So therefore, you can be your entire 
entire life in a scene. And by the way, 99.9999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999
someone that you know sometimes you find out people uh, I'll give you an example someone like Bill Gates or Warren Buffett or all these billionaires there's a list of 100 billionaires that they sign that they're going to give more than half of the wealth to tzedakah in their lifetime when you hear it you are very impressed because a lot of them are not even Jewish they don't understand the concept of the Torah they're not exactly Talmidei Shiva, you know. Bill Gates didn't go to Yeshiva to understand the charities, how important it is in the eyes of God. Some of these billionaires, perhaps they're even atheists. They don't even follow religion. They don't believe in any God. But they still want to do good things for humanity based on their own common sense. Not because Hashem said so. I'll give you an example. Two people saw a homeless person sit on the street, hungry. They each one of them gave him $50 to go buy himself a meal. One get a huge reward and one barely gets any reward. Why? Give me the reasons. Both of them equally rich. One was? No, both of them came. He came today, he came the next day. So now we said before, one is a generous and one is stingy. Both of them are generous. No? Both of them gave with a smile and a tap of a shoulder. Now everything you say, it's perfectly true. But that's not what I'm looking for. Huh? Both of them did it quietly when there was no one around, not for the show off. I didn't make bracha, nachon? Baruch ata Adonai lo enamelech haolam shakon yavidvaro. Both of them gave kosher money. Well, obviously if they both gave, that means they have a schut. Schut means merit. Huh? Why are you always the smartest guy? Come on, Gary. You got to give us a break. What is this? This guy, I don't know where he gets all his answers, like the Rambam. One gave because Hashem said so. And the other one gave because his heart was broken to see a homeless person hungry. The one that gave because Hashem said so get a huge reward. Because it wasn't motivated or manipulated from his feelings. Remember, feeling, it's like a drug. When, uh, when you are under the influence of a drug, you will do what the drug wants you to do. Right? So when your heart is broken to see someone suffer, immediately you give. Why you give? Not for him. For yourself, to cure the pain. He can take the pain. So by giving him $50, the pain is gone. Okay, you can go back to breathe now. Kills me. You know how there were the wives in Israel, they sit by the television with the Turkish films. Turkish film. Mustafa and Fatma. Oh, what happened, mom? <laughs> what happened? Fatma, she's leaving Mustafa. 
the, the kidnapper. So it's only a movie. No, she's such a tzaddik, this Mustafa. What a nice man he is. So, <laughs> so, listen. If you want to cure the problem, you say, ah, don't worry, I saw the show. Tomorrow they're getting back together again. Oh, really? You know? For sure? Yeah, yeah. Release her, don't worry. Oh my God, okay, let me make myself a nice tea. They came back to life, why? Because they can't take the pain. Even though it's all an illusion, yeah. What happens if instead of giving somebody money, I had this for years, I worked in street lighting, I had this for money, you don't know if they're going to use it for drugs or not. You buy them a sandwich, you give them something to eat. For drug addicts, you're not allowed to give them money. No, no, but they... Only food. You're hungry, I'll buy you food. Not allowed to give them cash, because you already know what they're going to do with the, with the cash. We're not talking about this. Now we just gave an example of someone that is not such a merciful person. If not a shame in a picture, days that he used to be uh, non-religious, he would see all these homeless people begging for food and it wouldn't bother him. Now he became religious, he gave him $50 for a meal. Why? Because Hashem said so. It's a very big thing. The other one, even when he was secular, he used to give. Why? Because he can't take the pain of someone looking in the garbage for food. He can't take the pain. He's a merciful person. That's his nature. So because he's suffering, he wants to get rid of the suffering. And the only way to do it right now is to give him. However, if someone else would be there and say, don't worry, I'll give him. He would right away put the $50 back in his pocket because someone else removed the pain. So you see that he's not doing it for Hashem. He only wants to get rid of the pain. Therefore, if someone else will give, he would be much happier. Give. Why you never give? Give him. Why don't you give? I gave yesterday. Now it's your turn. If you remove the pain from his heart by any way, for instance, if you know across the street someone who owns the deli, and you take him there and say, every time he needs food, would you, would you be able to give him some sandwich or something? Oh, of course. Don't worry, Chris. Whenever you need something, come over, we'll give you. That's it. You remove the pain. You're not going to give a penny. You only give when there's no other way to remove the pain. So you see, there's nothing to do with the mitzvah. It's for selfish reasons. Similar to people who donate to politicians. Why people donate to politicians? I'll give you another quiz. Two people wrote $10 million check to a candidate to become the President of the United States. One did a great thing and the other one did a horrible thing. For the same candidate. How come? No? No, both of them are non-believers. Two non-religious people. One gave the Mr. X that wants to become the president a nice donation, and the other one also. One did a positive thing, the other one did a negative thing. I'll help you out. One belief in what he preached. I'm going to stop this, and I'm going to fight crime and I will fight abomination, and I will fight Iran, and I will fight uh, the, the Hamas, 
and all kinds of other murderers, and I will clean the corruption from Wall Street, and I will clean the corruption from politics. He gives a list of positive divine things, that every one of them is the will of God, right? The other one only gives the $10 million to the Canada, nothing to do with what he says he's going to do or not to do. For him, he, he's happy from the corruption in Wall Street. And he loves abomination. And all of that is not his goal. The only reason he gives him the money is that once he becomes a president, he's going to come to him with a list of requests. You owe me. Cancel the ban on weapon. Cancel the ban on this kind of drug. Allow this. Lower the taxes on import on this product. That's what happened today. That's the corruption in politics. Everywhere you go. Whoever puts him in the office later comes with a list of requests. Right? So one didn't do it for the, for the cause or for the ideology. Only for selfish reasons. The other one doesn't even come later on to us. I just expect you to do what you say before the election. So conclusion, Rabotai, the obligation to be in love with Hashem is an obligation to every human being. True, for the goyim is much harder, but it's possible. We had goyim like this in history. But I'll give you an example why the Jews have an advantage when it comes to develop their relationship with God, they have an advantage on the goyim. An advantage. It's like someone who has a Ferrari, it's competing with a Toyota Corolla. Who is going to drive faster? <laughs> I'm a better driver. Of course, you drive a Ferrari. Let's see on a, on a Toyota. Let's see how you're going to do. That's not an indication who is a good driver here. He has a much better car. The Goim has, a, the Goim has a, a Toyota and the Jews have a Ferrari. Why? Now I'll tell you the secret. The Torah teaches us that there are two ways to fall in love with God. One is through nature, and the second one is through the Torah, by learning Torah deeply. The Goim don't have Torah, so right away, instead of two ways, they have only one way. They have a disadvantage here, that's it. But the Goim has nature. They have the same body, same miracles that happen to Jews in their body happen to the Goim. Same thing happened in the environment to the Jews, happened to the same environment of the Goim. Same miracles in nature the Goim sees. They have no problem to fall in love with Hashem just by looking at the leaves and the trees and the rain and the snow and the animals and the eyes and the brain and all kinds of things that they see in nature. That's enough to fall in love with God. But they don't have the Torah. Now I want to ask you, there are two shitot. One is shitat Rambam, how to fall in love with Hashem, and one is shitat Rashi. Shita means the opinion. Which one of the two is Rashi? To fall in love with Hashem through the Torah. That's Rashi. Rambam, you fall in love with Hashem by looking at how much He did for you, what a world He prepared for you, how delicious is the food, how wonderful his relationships, 
how great is all kinds of things you have. Your, your life could have been very boring. You don't have to have colors. Imagine you have thousands of colors. You could be black and white and finished. Very boring in the world. Everything gray, black, white, that's it. It could have been very boring world. And, and flavors? Who, who, who had to make you more than 10,000 different flavors? What for? Everything will be bread and water, that's it. That's food. Or you eat sand, like the snake. You pick up sand from the floor, put it in your mouth, there's no taste. It goes to the stomach, make you feel full, and that's it. So the fact that Hashem entertained the world for you, made it so beautiful and appealing, obviously you cannot ignore such a creation. So that's a perfect work of art. That should be enough for you to fall in love with Hashem. Rashi said, you don't even need that. You sit in a Gemara and you learn for a few months and the more you understand it, the more you fall in love with Hashem, with His brilliance, with His wisdom, with the divine wisdom, with how unbelievable the Torah is. You can live a second without it. Like the stipler when he finished to learn a page or sugiya in a Gemara, he used to take the Gemara and dance around the table. Dance from happiness. Reach the highest enlightenment. This is, by the way, the secret when we pray Tfilat Arvit. When we dive in at night, we have two blessings before we say Shema Yisrael. Right? When we say Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, Baruch Shem Kvod Malchuto Leolam Vaed, what is the first word? And you should love your God. With all your heart. With all your soul, with your life. With everything that means to you. Money. Any valuable thing you're willing to give. For your love to Hashem. To sacrifice it if you have to. So now comes the question. is How do you love Hashem? You can't see Him. You can't smell Him. You can't touch Him can hear him. You know, with your five senses, you can't really even have communication with him. It's like a hidden thing. You know he exists. You know he runs the show. You know he's watching. You know he's recording you. You know all of that from knowledge. But you can't really relay because you don't see. So, the first bracha, ברוך אתה השם, אלוקינו מלך העולם, אשר בדברו מעריב ערבים, בחוכמה, פותח שערים בתבונה, that Hashem brings the evenings and then the mornings, and bring the stars out, and the moon, and the sun, all these things. First blessing is talking according to Rambam or Rashi? Rambam. First bracha is שיטת הרמב״ם, look at the creation. Once you look at the creation, that's the blessing. Now the second bracha is Shittat Rashi. Ahavat olam, ahavtanu, Torah, mitzvot, chukim umishpatim, otanu limata. Right? Now he's talking about the Torah. He gave us Torah, eternal Torah. You taught us the commandments and all your, your, your wisdom and your brilliance and all of that. That's Shittat Rashi. So we go according to both ways. According to the Rambam, ve'avta et Hashem elokecha. And according to Rashi, ve'avta. By the way, it's not only Rambam and Rashi. 
It's every decent human being understand that you, have, you can connect to Hashem and love Him in two different ways. Not that the Rambam disagree with Rashi, or Rashi disagree with the Rambam, obviously. It's just that the Rambam talked about the creation, how you fall in love with Hashem. And Rashi say you can fall in love with Hashem from the Torah. Even someone who never saw the creation. Someone, you know, was locked all his life in a room and learned Torah. He falls in love with Hashem from the Torah. Without seeing animals, without seeing the galaxies, without seeing nature, without all of that. If he was a baby, from the minute he was born, he was locked in a room his entire life. He didn't see anything. Nothing. Just give him food every day, and that's it. But he has Torah. Someone comes, teach him Torah all his life. He's falling in love with the rim without seeing the world. Doesn't know how a tree looks, nothing. So it's good enough. So that's, by the way, what I say, why we have an advantage on the Goyim, because the Goyim don't have the Torah, they don't learn Gemara, they don't have all this. So the only way they can connect and fall in love with Hashem is through the creation. But for that, you have to be a clever Goy. You see that so many Jews, they look at the creation and are not impressed. Some of them are doctors, big doctors. How can you not be impressed? It's not, it's not impressed, it's blocked, his mind is blocked. You see the miracle of the heart, you see how the, the, sometimes there's a clog and in, in, in the body develop in a, a bridge, like an artery by, that goes around. How can it be? It's a, it's a new creation. All kinds of things like that. I mean, he's not impressed. It's unbelievable how people are. So obviously you have to be clever and you have to be honest. Not to live in denial. So now, who can raise his hand and give me, I know you forgot about it already, a list of obstacles that make us not be able to fall in love with Hashem and tighten our connection with Him? Who can tell me the list? Yes. Ungratefulness. Good. What? Continue. Lack of emuna and confidence in Hashem, true. Pride, true. Ego, pride, true. Lashonara, it's a result of a difference, there's a root for it. Lashonara is only the symptom. What causes it? Jealousy. What causes jealousy? Lack of emuna. Do you understand how it goes? It's a tree. The root is lack of emuna. Then comes the branch, goes out from the, from the root, right? That's, what is it? That's jealousy. Then comes the branches and the leaves, which is lajonara, violence, fighting, you know, all these things. But the root is lack of emuna. Because if you know Hashem designed a test to every human being, what is good for him, why would you be jealous with his good? It's not, it doesn't make any sense. One student is uh, being examined in math and the other one is in, in being examined in history. They're supposed to be jealous with each other? No. You are in math and you are in history. Why would I be jealous with you? I wanted here and you wanted there. doesn't make sense. But people don't understand, so that's why they're jealous with each other. So I'll give you a few more obstacles. One is addiction to material. That's, by the way, the biggest obstacle. You become a drug addict. 
But the drugs is not necessarily heroin or cocaine or grass. Yes, it's materialism. Materialism. The more materialistic you are, the less connected to Hashem you are. Now I know why some of you right away wants to jump and scream, not true! I'm very materialistic, I love nice cars and diamonds and vacations, I love Hashem more than anything. I'll die for Hashem. True, I'm not denying it. But if you get rid of the materialism, your connection to Hashem will be a hundred times stronger. Just as good as it is right now, it can become a hundred times better. And then you will walk in the street, smiling all day like you are in the moon. From that, what happened? Moshe, you hear? I, I had a rabbi like this. Disconnected from the world. Rav Rosenman, still in Monsi. If you ever come to Monsi, you must get a bracha from him. He never in his life got angry once. The smile never comes off his face. You see the light of Hashem on his face non-stop 24-7. An ocean of Torah and nothing else. Nothing else. He doesn't know the suit, his dress, how he is, if he button in the right button, what kind of food he will eat today. He's the type that no matter what food you give him, he will never say there's no salt, it's not hot enough, it's not cooked enough, I like it well done. Nothing, nothing, not out of this world completely, completely. Just give him something to put in his mouth. Of Raphael Rosenman. It's unbelievable how his house is across the street from the cemetery. But it's not just a cemetery. It's an ancient historical cemetery. You have a few of them in America. In Monsi, you have, remember when there was a war between the south and the, and the north? The Yankees and all of that, right? So... The soldiers that died, 1780, I think those were, the, you see on the graves, they are already almost 300 years there. So that's an historical place. You're not allowed to change anything there. Still have the original sign from 300 years ago almost. So those are American soldiers before it was United States. There was a civil warrior. They are buried right across the street. And his house, Mamash, next, every morning he remembers where we're going to end. One of the best things is to open the window and see thousands of graves. Over there it's only a few dozens, but it's not such a big cemetery. One block. It's open. No walls, no gates. You can, there's a little gate, you jump over it, and you can just walk there. Why? Because it reminds you where we end. When you look at the grave, you look at the ground, and you think, wow, in a few years, I'm going to be there. That's where I'm going to end. You know, the Gemara say, if a person has a choice between going to a wedding tonight or going to a house when people lost someone from their family. Someone died. Where do you want to go? To a nice Bukharian wedding, seven floors, kebab, steaks, 500 dessert, 10 different good whiskeys, 500 wines, great Bukharian singer, oh, wow, 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 you know, and everybody over there, $100 bills on a singer's forehead, 
וואו, כולולו, דרם, תרבוקה, פאם 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 פאם, and everybody enjoy better than פורים. פנטסטיק ודינג. In style. Not like the way we do it. Boring, dancing, you know. Different. If you have to go there now, and you have to go to a house of people that sits on the floor, their father died, they cry over there, you know. The rabbis come, they give the vre Torah. Where... a person would prefer to go to a good fancy wedding or to a place when people sit on a mattress on the floor and the rabbis come and say the Torah about the deceased person. So a person would like to go to a wedding. The Gemara says you should go to the morning house where the mourners are sitting on the floor. Why? From the wedding, anything positive will be contributed to your, li- to your life. Nothing. The whiskey is going to make you a bigger tzaddik? No. The great mu- music, Bukharian, rock and roll, disco, reggae, whatever you want to call it, is going to make you a better human being? No. The delicious ashpolo and kebab and steaks is going to make you closer to Hashem? No. Anything positive will come out of this wedding? Nothing. As soon as you walk into a funeral or a place when people sit on the floor and cry, And you remember where a person ends, it checks you up. I better stop with my corruption. I better stop with my Hilul Shabbat. I better stop with the stealing. I better stop with this. I better stop. I better change this, and I better be better on this. I stop with my alcohol and with my drugs and with my goyot and all these things. Why? Before I'm going to have to pay for it. I'm going to end like this guy. But the guy that goes in the ground, that's only the beginning of the punishment. That's not the punishment. That's just the transfer. When the people went to Auschwitz, the punishment was not going on a train, even though it was very difficult. And everyone there was crying and screaming, Abba, don't go, don't leave us. It was horrible. But everybody understands that's only the beginning of the punishment. The punishment will be when they arrive there and they torture them there for years from morning to night, 17 hours a day, starving them, destroying them mentally and physically. So if someone would think that the punishment is getting on a train, he's dreaming. Dying is going on a train. Where the train is going to take you is depend how you live your life. If you did whatever you wanted, ignoring God and ignoring his rules, Every sin you did, you're going to have to pay separately. There's now one discount. You pay for everything, whether you like it or not. Whether you get angry at me for saying it, whether you appreciate that I say it, doesn't make a difference. You like what I say, you hate what I say, it's not me. I'm only the mailman. <laughs> Deliver you the letter from the government. You don't hate the mailman. Because you understand, he's only doing his job. One day will bring you a nice... Wedding invitation will make, make you smile. The next day brings you an audit from the IRS. Either way, you don't kiss the mailman and you don't shoot the mailman. Why? Because it's only the mailman. A rabbi that comes to give a speech is a mailman. He only tell you what, tells you what the Torah says. That's it. Nothing else. He reads to you the verses. <laughs> He reads to you what's going to be. You understand. You're clever. You got it. If not... So what do we see over here? 
when you go to a house, when people cry, it reminds you where you're going to end, it inspires you to repent, to start taking care of your future, to become better. So which place is more recommended? Obviously, over here, right? That's why, Rabotai, we have to know that we should not follow what our desires want us to follow. We should follow the truth. Rarely, the truth and your desire is the same. Rarely. Most of the time, it's two opposites. When you want to take drugs, that's the truth? No, that's a poison. That's a killer. It destroyed you mentally, destroyed you physically, shortened your life, taking away your money, destroying your relationship with people around you, making your parents suffer, your siblings. That's not a good thing. But your body wants it. You want to feel high. Like they say, oh, I'm, I, I was high. Over here you feel high, but over there it's very, very low. Not high. You know, one father, he took his son to the Banyas. You know where the Banyas is? The Banyas is a river all the way in the north of Israel. It comes from Lebanon, goes all the way down to Israel, and that's the coldest water you will ever feel. If you jumped into this water, it's mamash like pieces of ice you feel. That's how cold it is. You can't breathe. It frees your heart. If you ever went to the mikveh of the Ari, if you saw how cold the water, the banyas is even colder. Imagine this. Imagine this. One father took his son to the banyas on a trip. Just when the boy did not pay attention, the father pushed him into the water. Pshh! Ah! I scream! Oh! And the father pulled him out and hand him a warm towel. You know how the towel comes out of the dryer? Smells great and warm. And when your body is wet with cold ice, right the way you wrap yourself with a warm towel, what's your reaction? Ah. So the boy asked the father, why did you do this to me? He said, I want to ask you a question, son. Do you know what's the difference between cold water and a sin? The boy say, cold water and a sin? What's the connection? Why are you comparing a sin to a cold water? He said, do you know what's the difference between them? He said, no. He said, I'll tell you what. When you fall into cold water, first you scream, oh! Then when you dry yourself with a warm towel, you say, ha! The sin is first you say, ha, then you say, ho, forever. That's the difference. You understand the point or no? It's clever. The Rebbe Mikot, he once said, brilliant thing, every human being has to imagine that the Satan, who is the Satan? He's an angel. The Satan is an angel who wants to, to make us commit as many sins as possible. If he can make you commit 100 sins a day, he will do it. 
if he can go for 200, he will go for 200. If he can go for 200,000, he will go for 200,000. He's a robot. He's programmed to do as much as he can to bury you as deep as possible. Plus, if he can make you go and commit a small sin or a big sin, he will never compromise on a small one. He always aims for the worst that can be. That's the Satan, the evil inclination. So the Rabbi Mikotsk said that a person has to imagine that the Satan is standing by his head with an axe. Every second is ready to chop his head off. That's how you have to live your life. Not like a liberal lefty. Ah, I like freedom. Don't intimidate me. Don't scare me. These tactics does not work by me. Speak positive. The rest of the nonsense of all these liberal lefties that lives in illusion. A smart person has to understand this world is a minefield. Be careful where you walk and how you walk. So the Rebbe Mekotzke said, you have to imagine now that the Satan, obviously his job is to destroy my soul. So he's ready to chop my head off any second. That's why I better be alert. And if you cannot imagine the Satan is about to chop your head off any second, it means that he already chopped your head off. Who understood what I just said? Not me, the Rebbe Mikotsk. Did you understand what he just said here? It's very deep. Very deep. You have to be smart to understand what he just said. I'll repeat for those of you who sleeps. You have to imagine every second in your life before you're about to do something, that if you're going to do that, the Satan, which is also the angel of death, is waiting every second to chop your head off with an axe. Garzen, chop your head off. So you have to be always scared not to do stupid things that will cause big time. Then you have to deal with the consequences of them. And if you cannot imagine this, you try, but you can't, that means he already chopped your head off. Do you understand what it means or no? No, Avram, save the situation. Very good. If you can't bring yourself to imagine this, that means he already did such a job on you that he already destroyed you. Because a normal, clever Jew, or even a Goy, will always fear what the consequences of his actions would be. Only a fool speaks like the fools in Israel speaks. When we get to the bridge, we'll cross it. Meaning, when the problem will come, I will deal with that. No, you fool. Stop the problem now, before it comes. Now it's a 1%. Once it's going to come, <laughs> where are you going to be? You won't be able to do anything. You understand, Rabotai, or no? How many times I told you in life I've seen people who had 10 minutes pleasure? 
And after that 10 minutes pleasure, they suffer 60 years of Gehenom, hell on this world. First time they touch drug, first time. How much pleasure they have? It's not always, sometimes in the beginning it's not even pleasure. But let's say they had a great feeling in a, in a party, some fool came to them and said, hey, try brother, on me, try it, try, try cocaine, try. Don't worry, you feel good, it's going to make you forget your problems. And he tried. Five years later, he lost his home, he lost businesses, he lost his wife, he lost his children, he's homeless on the street, he's freezing from morning to night, coming to the gas station, collecting quarters that he can buy another needle. That's before Sleepy Joe gave that for free. He comes like this, and he goes everywhere and beg people, give me a quarter, give me that, and inject, and inject. That, that's the life there. When this life of torture started, in five minutes of pleasure. For that five minutes of pleasure, for the first time, you're going to suffer Gehenom seven years, and that's not the punishment. The punishment will come in the next world. How did you dare to do such thing to yourself? Didn't you read the Torah say not to touch these things? Drugs, alcohol. You don't know how to drink, you're not allowed to touch alcohol. You can stop, go get treated. You must stop. You're not allowed to lose control. By the way, you should know. If someone got drunk, and while he was drunk so bad, he, he didn't even remember his name. He doesn't know where he is. You know. He asked him, who is Arur and who is Baruch? Mordechai or Aman? He doesn't know. To the point he killed his own brother. Pushed him from the terrace. You know how, when it's drunk, you don't know what you do. Later, when he will wake up, he won't even remember the incident. Where is my brother Isaac? Where is he? Where is he, huh? He's in, 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 in a grave already. What do you mean, where is he? You killed him. What's going to happen to him? He's going to scream, kill himself. Wow, I don't want to live anymore. How did I do such thing? Did he want to kill his brother? No, he was his best friend. If he could, he would give everything he can to get him back, even his own life. According to the Torah, what punishment he deserve? Death penalty and, and years in hell. Many years. You may ask, wait a minute, it's not fair. When a murderer goes with a gun or a knife and slaughters someone, he gets the death penalty, plus he goes to hell. Makes sense. As a murderer. Murderer are criminals. But this drunk, he didn't want to murder. When he's sober, he doesn't even kill a mosquito. That's how merciful he is. He's not the type to murder. And not only that, he's now going to live with the suffering for the rest of his life for what he has done. You want to execute him and send him to hell? He deserves the same punishment like someone who stabbed someone because he didn't like him or something like that? The answer is yes. He deserved the same punishment. Of course, the one who planted the murder is much worse. But once you go into a situation that you lose control, meaning you don't know where you are, you don't know who, I, who you are, and you are able to do anything, there's only Hashem knows where he can end. You're putting yourself in an unknown street. 
a street with, you don't know where the end is. It's gambling. It's like a Russian roulette. Today you get lucky and nothing will happen. You fall on a bed and fall asleep. Tomorrow you got lucky. 10, 20 times you got lucky. And the 38 times you killed someone and you sit 40 years in prison and suffer. The answer is, once you put yourself in an unknown situation that you have no more control on your actions, you're already the biggest criminal in the world. And that's why you deserve death penalty plus many years in hell. That's it, Rabotai. You should know that. Someone who lives without Torah, without God in his life, without the truth of the Torah, if he hears me now, he thinks I'm crazy. But it's not my opinion. If it was my opinion, you can criticize my opinion. I'm just telling you what God said. That's the law. That's what we got in Mount Sinai in front of millions of witnesses. You know the difference between us and all the other fake religions. They all were given, of course never given, one individual claimed that he got the Torah or the book from God, the Quran, the New Testament. Nobody ever witnessed it. It's a story of Muhammad, no witnesses. Story of Mary, no witnesses. Story of Buddha, no witnesses. Story of Krishna, no witnesses. Nobody ever witnessed anything. Somebody comes and make up a story. You want to believe? Believe. You don't want to believe? Don't believe. It's a 50-50 right there. Jewish religion is completely different than all these 80,000 fake religions and cults. Don't ever, ever mix between the two. The only religion that is solid as a rock that was given to the Jews in front of millions of witnesses in a public live event that God and Moshe spoke in front of everyone is Judaism. It's an undisputable religion. Baruch Hashem, I have a great student Boy, 20, 21 years old, Aaron his name. He took all my lectures and some other good lectures and few very good books and lots of scientific uh, material and he created this beautiful book, right? The Undisputable Truth. You have to be super, super, super foolish to read this book and stay secular. It's mamash a miracle. After you read all the evidence here, how everything science discovered was all already in the Torah. How the Torah talks about things that only the creator of the world was able to know. No one else. Once you read such a book, it leaves you no doubt whatsoever. You can get it for free. You can get it for free for me. He gave me a box. You can get it for free for me. Even free shipping. People, good people donate money and, you know, I mean, I'm telling you, if you're going to see the, it's fantastic. After people would read this book, one thing we already achieved, they will know one million percent. There is a God, the Torah is his book, and there's life after death, and the world is all reward and punishment. If they're going to change or not, I am not able to answer that, depend on a person. Some people hear the truth 10 minutes and they change completely. Some people hear the truth 10,000 times and they only get worse. I know people like this also. They only get worse. The more they hear the truth, the more they resist it. If you ask them, do you have one evidence against what you read? One way to disqualify the proof. 
One way to dispute the proof. Nothing. They don't, know, they don't have what to say. What's their answer? Leave me alone. I'm not interested. Don't brainwash me. Don't talk to me about the religion. This is not going to get you anywhere. I want to ask you a question. Sometimes you see wicked people, they like to give a lot of donations. They're very generous. They give big checks. When you speak to them, you ask them, you believe in God? Maybe yes, maybe not. You believe in the Torah? Most of the time they say, ah, no, nah, I'm not religious. Nah, Torah is probably, ah. You believe in the afterlife? Ah, I don't know. I don't think about it. Do you believe that people like you will go to hell for 5,000 years for being Mechalel Shabbat? Do you understand what the Torah says about it? Ah, you're crazy. Fanatic. You don't be an extremist. I'm not interested to hear this nonsense. Enough. That's usually what you get from these people. So in that case, if they deny and fight everything, why do they write such nice checks and they give it to Yeshiva and to the rabbi and to the orphanage home and to a widow with seven orphans or to the synagogue? Why are they like that? The answer, most of the time for selfish reasons. They suffer with their guilt. They say, God gave me so much money. I'm successful in what I do. How can I be ungrateful to him? I know he loved the widow, he loved the synagogue, it's a place people pray to him, yeshiva, people learn Torah. Let me give some back. If a broker gave me a big building for a good price, I won't give him two, three, five percent. I will. Even I barely know him. Why? Then he should give me more in the future. Whenever you have deals like this, come to me first, here. Why? Not because he's so generous and he wants to give 5% to the broker. He wants to be able to make more money. Same thing the wicked people. They only give donations because they're afraid that God will take away all their money. Because they know, everybody knows, whatever you have, it's from him. So they want to relax their guilt. I told you once the story that there was one guy walked into a, into a synagogue and there was a Hasidish rabbi sitting there teaching Gemara there, a group of people. He never ever saw him before. They don't know each other. He walked in. Hi, you the rabbi here? Shalom, yes. I came to give donation. A check. $100,000 on a check. And this story was more than 20 years ago. It's like a million dollars today. Do you know how many properties you could buy with $100,000 20-something years ago? What you can buy today? A bathroom in Harlem. <laughs> That's what you can buy. 20 years ago, you bought a building in Harlem for $100,000, 25 years ago, before the booming of the real estate. Now you buy a bathroom. That's it. The world has changed. He comes in and gives the rabbi $100,000. The rabbi said, who are you? My name is such and such. Are you religious? No. See, I don't have kippah. No tzitzit, no nothing. He said, you shomer Shabbat? He said, no. The rabbi said, so I cannot accept this check from you. Thank you very much. Very nice of you, but I can't take it. He said to him, why? Secular people cannot give donations? He said, of course they, they, sh they can give. They should give as, many, as much as possible. Tzedakat atzil mimavet. Charity saves from, from death. 
It gives you extension to your life. At least you can have more time to do tshuva, to repent. So in that case, why you don't want to take it? Don't worry, Rabbi, I didn't make this money on Shabbat. My business is only five days a week. Shabbat and Sunday, it's close. I understand, but I still cannot take it. Don't worry, I'm not a drug dealer. It's not drug money. It's not money laundering. It's not stolen money. It's kosher money, Rabbi. The rabbi said, thank you very much. I still cannot take it. By now, this secular guy was puzzled. Why cannot I take it? Everything is clean, kosher. It's not from Shabbat. So he said to him, why can't take it? He said to him, because if I take it, I decree on you an eternal death with suffering in the next world for eternity. If I take this check from you. The guy now was more confused. Why? You just say yourself that it's a good thing to give tzedakah, no? Charity. Why? He said, because why did you walk into this shul not knowing me and you're willing to give me such a big check? What for? For my beautiful eyes? For my nice beard? For what? Because you're making a lot of sins, you commit a lot of sins, and you feel guilty. You know you live in a lie. Okay, everybody knows. Yeah, people make a lot of noise and bark a lot, but in, inside, inside, they know the truth. So you know, you, you know that you live in a lie, you ignore God's rules, you don't care, no Shabbat, no nothing. And to relax your conscience, you came to give me this large check. If I'll take it from you, it will feel great. I'm not less than all these religious people. I also do wonderful things in the eyes of God. Look, I just gave a $100,000 donation. And you will go right out of here to continue with 20 more years of breaking Shabbat and living with your all kinds of other sins that you commit. That's why I don't want to do it to you. I don't want it. I'd rather you become Shomer Shabbat and live clean life than give me this charity. The guy was shocked. He left the shul. A week later, he came back after Shabbat. He said to him, I want you to know I did not have rest from you. The entire week, Shabbat came, you don't understand. I just could not break Shabbat. Your words were constantly in my mind. This Shabbat, first time in my life I kept. Didn't drive the car, no television, nothing. Now you can take the check. I'm already becoming religious. The rabbi got bought. He saved his soul. Plus, he got the check. Why? Because nobody can ever lose from doing what God wants you to do. Even though right now it looks like you're losing, maybe even a year or two or three or five, it still looks like you lost. It's only an illusion. In the long run, God is not the type that you're going to do for him and he's going to stick you with a knife in your back. No, no, no. He's not Bernie Sanders. He's not uh, Mike Pence who stepped Trump in the back or all the other politicians who do what they do. No, no, no. You did good for me, I will be forever, forever grateful to you. I'm not an ungrateful God. The opposite, the Torah is full of promises. No one will ever lose by listening to me. In the long run. Then you may ask, so why don't I get the reward right away? And why not the wicked people get the punishment right away? Everyone who breaks Shabbat, kill him on the spot. 
after three, four cases, no one will bring, no bring Shabbat. Everyone who gives charity, give him right away double. Everyone that steals, take right away double from him. The answer is because then you're not going to have a free will. You won't be able to choose anything. Everything is with a gun to the head. That's not a test. If right away you light a cigarette on Shabbat, boom, you explode and die. Your friend did it, he died. No one will ever break Shabbat. No one. There's no test. Who's going to dare to break Shabbat after two people just died? From the beginning, no one will ever break Shabbat. There's never going to be wicked people. No one will dare to move. Shabbat people would freeze like this. Moshe, where are you? Shh, don't talk. Don't move. Shabbat started. By mistake, maybe I hit the light, something. I don't want to move. Why? Maybe I break Shabbat. Okay, come eat something. No, no, maybe I squeeze. Maybe I grind something. I don't want to move. Why? What kind of a life is this? This is a test? Any guy, you put a gun to his head, he's going to break Shabbat. He's going to keep Shabbat if he has to. And it's not, gonna, it's not an indication he became righteous. So that's what we have to understand, Rabotai. The world is a place of a test. Remember, the Torah repeats it many times. I'm testing you to check what's in your heart. Will you listen to me and keep my commandments or not? How do you test the person? It's written. After what happened, Hashem came to test Abraham. After finally gave him a son, Isaac, after so many years of waiting, he said, take your son and sacrifice him to me. It was never the intention. He never wanted him to kill him. But he, Abraham ran to do the, the, the thing. And then he said, him, don't reach your hands and don't touch your son. Now I know you're a God-fearing, righteous person. You proved yourself. Therefore, you will be the father of all the nations. It's all clear verses in the Torah. Life is full of tests. People, the problem with them is they have no faith and they don't have patience. They want to see everything right away, for good or for bad. Hashem has a lot of patience. But in the end, everybody will get exactly what they prepared for themselves. So Rabotai, in Shira Shirim, Song of Songs, that was written 3,000 years ago, the source is King Solomon, but it was written by Hiskiyahu, the king, 2,600 years ago. And his yeshiva, or Bet Midrasho. There is a verse. This is the verse. Ani ledodi, vedodi li aroe bashoshanim. Roe means shepherd. You have sheep, and the man that maneuver the sheep is the shepherd. Shoshani means roses. Yeah, also written in Shira Shirim, Dodi, Dodi is God, Yarad Legano, came down to the garden, meaning to this world, Lilkot Shoshanim, to pick roses. There, are, there is a field full of thorns, and there is one rose here and one rose there. That's how it is usually. And even on the, th on, the, on the rose, you have thorns. If you touch it, wow, it's like a needle. Usually in a florist shop, they shave it with a razor. They don't let you buy it like this. They already make it nice and smooth. 
Obviously, this is a parable here. We have to understand the secret. This is the smartest person ever lived. So, Dodi Arad Legano, sometimes the Kadosh Baruch Hu comes to this world and pick up one big tzaddik instead of taking 20,000 secular people. They all mechalele Shabbat, many of them still, Lashon Ara, all kinds of problems. Instead of bringing such a tragedy to the Jewish nation, taking in one shot so many people, what do Hashem do? Either take a child that is clean completely before Bar Mitzvah, or very big tzaddik, rabbi, or just another tzaddik, to give extension to these 20,000 people to, to be able to live a little bit longer to repent. He did not lose. He goes to heaven. He's not going to miss this world. Don't worry about it. Not the child and not the holy man. But there is something deeper than this. I am to God, and then God is to me. Not the other way around. First you do what you're supposed to do according to the Torah, and then Hashem will give you exactly what He promised. But you're not allowed to test God. Oh, Rabbi, it's easy for you to talk. Oh, you, for you it's easy to keep Shabbat. You sit with your family, enjoy with guests, singing, eating, going to the synagogue, meeting all the friends. What do I have? I live alone. I'm a single guy or I'm a single girl or I'm a divorced man. I can't even be with my wife, and my ex-wife and children. There's thousands of cases like this. Why do you think it's easy for me to keep Shabbat like this? To make a meal on my own? First of all, it may not be easy. Depends who you are. Some people that love to learn Torah, for them it's very easy. They make a quick meal and all Shabbat they read. They enjoy. They don't need even to go. We have guys in yeshiva. Most of the guys in yeshiva, they love very much to come to us for Shabbat. Benji, right? You saw it dozens of times. They come, they eat well, they enjoy, they read Torah. Very nice. But there are a few guys who don't want to come. To anyone. Why? It's a waste of time for them. Say, 10, 15 minutes to walk, 10, 15 minutes to walk back. Then you depend on when the owner of the house will finish the meal. It may take an hour and a half, it may take two hours. Altogether, it can be two hours of waste of time. When I'm in a room, in a room in yeshiva, quickly I do kiddush, I make a mozi, I eat some salads, a little bit of uh, food, chulent. I finish the meal in 20 minutes, and I go learn another two hours gemara. How much is that? 120,000 mitzvot extra. Then sitting in a meal and listening to all kinds of conversations. They're already in high level. So for them, nothing is greater than to be alone. They, they don't want to be with a lot of people. Why? I have time for myself. I go in a room with my books, sit and enjoy, or sit in a bet midrash and learn. They love it. Some people, they need to socialize. They don't want to be alone. They feel, I don't know, sad, whatever. Depend on a person. But even if it's hard, everything in life is hard. To get married is hard. To have children is hard. To raise children is very hard. To make money is hard. To stay happy or focus is very hard. To pay taxes is a killer. You work like a slave and you have to give 30, 40, 50% of your money to Sleepy Joe and his friends, that they take the money and give it to all the gays and to the abominations and to all the rest of the abortions that they do. A kill, it's a killer. Who wants to have such a life? 
You go and walk, kill yourself for morning tonight, and then you pay a million dollar a year taxes, and then you read on the news that they give it to the gay parade. Then men will kiss a man and go naked and go like this in the street in front of your religious kids. Or to give it to the public school in your area when your children don't even go there, they go to yeshiva, and you have to sponsor the public school who come and curse you, you dirty Jew, and throw things on your house after you feed them and take care of all their needs. That's easy. It's also hard. Life is not a picnic. I never met one person besides the serious learners that are very deep into Torah that is happy. I've been in houses of billionaires. I've been in anywhere you can think of, all over the world. Never met a happy person. I told you the story once I went to Boca Raton. I had this American, very wealthy man. He owned like seven or six big construction companies, making highways, making bridges. Big money from the state. $10 million home back then. Now probably it's worth a lot more. Everything in Florida doubled in a year. So what happened? <laughs> he lives in a private place, private golf things. You know, we live the life. Once I wore, he invited me to Shabbaton in a shul that he made for himself. He made a shul that he will have in his area shul. He sponsored everything. He invited me to the shul. I see the guy never stops smiling. He's tan, red, smile nonstop. I say to him, finally, Baruch Hashem, I meet someone that is really happy. I'm impressed. He changed the subject. In a meal. It's him, his wife, and me, Friday night, with a servant. Servant serving food. I gave him a compliment that he's happy, he doesn't stop smiling. He changed the subject. Shabbat morning, again I tried. So maybe he didn't hear me, maybe he didn't understand. I said to him, Baruch Hashem, I see you very happy man, you don't stop smiling. Again he changed the subject. Uh, I'm not such a genius, but I'm also not a, such a big fool. Uh, something is fishy. We go to the shul now. He has a mashgiach, a religious rabbi. He's in charge of the kashrut of the food. I said to him, you know, this guy, from the minute I arrived to Florida, he did not stop smiling for a second. Finally, I meet a rich guy that is happy. Without problems and agony and depression. He looks at me and says, Tamim, naivi, you naive. He's on Prozac all day. <laughs> Prozac, antidepressant. <laughs> That's when I realized why I keep changing the subject. Finally, I thought I met one happy guy, Gamzea Belloni. Can find. Stress. Non-stop stress. Aggravation. Concerns. Worry. In the wedding of their children, they cry under the chuppah from worry, what's going to happen, how much I'm going to have to pay here, how much I have to pay there. <laughs> Bottom line, Rabotai, life is not a picnic when you're secular and when you're religious, it's not a picnic. When you're a Jew, when you're a Goy, it's not a picnic to no one. So if it's not a picnic and there is a lot of suffering, you might as well get something out of this lousy life. 
So why don't you listen to the instructions that at least you materialize your ticket to life of eternity? <laughs> what can go wrong? You have a God and he made you and he gave you everything here. And he said to you what to do and what not to do. You think you lose? No, you can't lose. With everyone else, you may win, you may lose. With Hashem, you only win. can never lose. So what does it mean, Dodi Arad Legano? What does it mean, Ani Dodi Vedodi Li Aroe Bashoshanim? Listen to this. Why in the field you have so many thorns and weeds until you finally find one rose? The answer is, why in the world you have so many millions of wicked people until you meet one righteous person? You walk in the streets of Manhattan, Fifth Avenue. From morning to night, you're going to see more than a million faces walking in front of you. More than a million faces. Maybe five to ten of them are righteous from a million Almost all of them, if they are Jews, almost all of them are Shabbat. Many of them are gays. Many of them are thieves. Many of them are atheists, non-believers, ungrateful to God. Many of them are angry people. Many of them are drug addicts or alcoholic or people who hurt other people or take advantage on other people. Many of them are horrible wives or horrible husbands or terrible parents. So many wicked people, many of them are goyim, idol worshippers, Hindus that bow down to the cow, and Buddhists who bow down to Buddha, and Christians who replace God with a man-made J.C. Penny, bow down to the church and to the rest of the nonsense. From a million people you see, almost all of them are wicked. Finally you see, some tzaddik. Tzaddik, Ben Torah, Yereshamayim came maybe to sell some diamonds in 47th Street and ran away quickly back to the yeshiva. He eats, he makes a bracha, he makes sure to eat kosher, never to steal. A word is a word, handshake is handshake, pays on time. Watch his eyes, don't look like a radar, everybody on the street. Pray three times a day. He's, he's anxious to learn Torah, that's what he wants. And to help everybody, not to hurt anyone. Great father, great husband, great teacher, great everything. Now one person can say one bad thing about him. Everyone loves him. He has an one enemy. Never stole. His credit is 8.30. Never had a late payment. There are people like this in our community, many. So, if everyone in the world was like that, they wouldn't have any value. If everyone in the world was righteous and honest and not a thief and pay on time and everybody Shomer Shabbat, no one touched drugs, everyone was beautiful, great father, great husband, great wife, great child, everyone, perfect. Learning Torah, holy, watching their eyes, fixing their horrible traits, angels, everybody. You wouldn't appreciate anyone. Now when you have so much weeds and so many thorns, finally when you get a rose, it has a huge value. That's why you pay three, four dollars for it. Even in Costco. When it's already 50% off. Why? What's so special? 
It came from millions of thorns around it and, 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 and weeds and a lot of dirt in a field. Finally, we picked up one. That's the, the secret on this verse. Ani ledodi veledodi li ba'shoshanim. He's finally looking to find the roses. There's not that many. Field is full. Oh, finally one flower. Beautiful. That's the secret, Rabotai. We have a, a proof for it in the Tanakh. Time is running out. We have a proof for it in the Tanakh. It's, there is the famous story. The famous story is uh, with the widow that her son was very sick. His life was in a risk. And who came to stay in her house? Eliyahu Anavi. Elijah the prophet. He came to her house and wanted a room, if he can live there, to stay there for a few, few days. She said to him, What do you have to do with me, the man of God? You are a man of God. You are a holy person. Why would you want to come to a simple, ordinary woman like me and be around me? Why? Listen, Rabotai, this is very interesting. But I lie, you came to highlight my sins. You came to highlight my sins and to kill my son? Meaning, from the minute you came to my house, my son became sick. Any minute is going to die. It's only because you came here. Why? Until you came, I was the most righteous woman in town. Everyone looked up to me. This famous holy widow. The righteous religious widow. So compared to all of them, I was the rose. And everyone around here compared to me was the thorns and the weeds. Now when you came here, you turned me into a thorn or weed. As, as results of that, the Satan right away showed that I'm nothing. Look at him and look at her. You automatically, by your righteousness around me, highlight my wickedness. From here we learn a very interesting concept. We always say it's better to be the tail of a lion than the head of the fox. We have a saying in Hebrew. Meaning, I give you an example from sport. In sport you have leagues. First league, second league, third league, right? Obviously first league is the highest level. More fans, more money. Everybody wants to reach the, to the top league. Then you have the second league. It's not as good. Less fans, less money, less interest. Third, nobody cares. What's better? To be in the bottom of the top league or to be number one in the second league? That's a good question. Once you're number one in the second league, Everyone looks at you with such admiration. Wow, you're the champ. Champ among losers. <laughs> yes. 
Once you're going to move to the top league, you're going to be the last one. So what's better? To be in a second league, but in the top, that everyone admires you, or to go to the higher league and be the worst, and everyone look down at you with jokes. Logically, you would say, come on, to be in the bottom of the top league, it's still higher than the top of the second league. I'm higher, professionally I'm higher in my level, but there's not one person in the world who admires it. The fact is that when you're in the top of the second league, people will treat you with a lot of admiration. When you're in the bottom of the top league, everyone looks down at you and make jokes. So you're right, but there's not one person in the world to justify it. <laughs> That's the way it is. So what's better? In reality, you may think, I better be where I belong. To be with people in my level and get number one, first place, that's an achievement. That's why I never understood all these athletes, the players. They are players in a team. And they are the star of the team. The fans scream their names. All, the entire game. Everywhere they go, kids waiting with the, to sign, autograph, this, that. They want to go to a famous team, which they won't play two minutes a month. They will sit on a bench, because there's much better players. But he wants to say, I went to the best team in the world. But over there, you're only going to give the towels to the players. You're never going to play. Maybe the explanation for that is money. In the big teams, they're going to make a lot more money. Nobody will see you playing. You won't have any satisfaction. You will be rusty on a bench, never playing, but you make millions. Okay, if you do it for the money, so... <laughs> but some of them don't care about the money. They already have a lot of money. Why would they insist to go to a much better play team that they will never play? Better stay in your area, in your level, that you can compete. Huh? How does it help you? If it's not for the money, what do you care the team win? You sit on the bench. You're a fan. You're nothing different than the fans that buy a ticket to see the game. Abotai, we will finish with this. The nation saw that Moshe is not coming down from the mountain. They came to Aaron, his brother. Get up and make us a god. Where this concept comes from? They heard the voice of God 40 days ago in Mount Sinai. So they know you don't make a god. There is already a god. And he already told us that he's the god that took us out of Egypt and he's the god who made the world and he's the god that will bring us to Israel. We already heard all that. What does it mean get up and make us a god? Meaning a physical god. Where did they get this idea from? 
Remember, the Jews never had a God until they found him in Mount Sinai. Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, even Noah, and even Adam, they found him before individually. The rest of the nation heard from their fathers that there is a God and he spoke to us and he gave us a mission. But the first time everyone heard God was in Mount Sinai. So 40 days later they already forgot. What does it mean get up and make us a God? We, we, people that try to be religious, we're not going to be so stupid. You're going to get up after 40 days you spoke to God and say to someone, make me a God? Do you really think that the people over there were that stupid? So you may come and say, oh, okay, it wasn't them, it was the Egyptians. The Egyptians anyway worship the, the sheep, they worship the Nile. They're idol worshippers to begin with. They understand only a physical God. No problem, that's exactly what happened. But how come the Jews went along with that? How come they didn't destroy them? How can they did not come thousands of them and break that idol to a million pieces? Start a fight. You're allowed to let Jews bow down to an idol and be quiet about it? Not only they didn't do it, some of them clapped when they were dancing around. Very interesting. Let's try to understand what's, what's happening here. First question is, when they came to Aaron and told him, make us a god, he said to them, go get your jewelry. Go get your gold. Question is, why he didn't tell them, how dare you? What do you mean, make you a god? You're not embarrassed? Didn't you hear the voice of God? Didn't you see the mountain is shaking? Didn't you see the fire? Didn't you see the split of the Red Sea? Didn't you see the ten plagues in Egypt? How do you dare to even talk like fools like this? Not one word, Aaron. What does he say? Go, go collect the, wife from your, the jewelry from your wives, knowing the wives will not give any of their jewelry. For two reasons. One, they are very righteous. Second, do you know a woman that gives away her jewelry? Come on. That's never happened. So, Aaron say, I'm going to stall them like this. In the meantime, Moshe will come down because they think Moshe died. And I'm alone here with them. The truth is that he was afraid that they're going to kill him. Why? Because they first say to Hur, the son of Miriam, make us a god. And he gave them that speech. Shame on you. How do you dare? Didn't you see? Oh, yeah. Boom, boom, boom. Killed him. When? Never heard of it. Where did you see that? <laughs> it's something you read in Nehari, probably. No? It could be Midrash. They killed Chur. Tzadik, Chur, the son of Miriam. Moshe was his uncle. Aaron is his uncle. Aaron said, before they kill me, and then nobody would be left. Moshe is not coming. Chur is dead. They're going to kill me, and that's the end of it. No one will be remained here to, to supervise them. Let me stole them and earned some time. So they saw the ladies don't give, they brought their own jewelry. It was in style that men will, will go with jewelry back then. Yeah. 
So they all took whatever they had, rings, necklaces, whatever, and they brought it right away. And they threw it into Aaron, threw it into the fire, and a golden calf came out. They didn't build it. They didn't melt the gold and make a statue and cover it with melted gold. None of these things. It's written clearly in the verse. They threw it in. They made a black magic. Bilam's two children. And he started to talk and move his head. I am the God that took you out of Egypt. Now I want to ask you a question. There was nothing out of the ordinary. In Egypt, the Khartoumim, the little kids of Paro, threw the canes on the floor and it turns into snakes. It was something that the Goim could have done. Why are you so impressed that the golden calf is moving his head and saying, I'm the God of Israel? So what? Moshe threw the cane, became a snake. The Egyptians threw their canes, became a snake. It's written in the Torah. It was, a, it was a known thing. And you have a lot of Egyptians here, and they know black magic. So how the Jews were fooled to believe that this is a God? No, of course not. The point was that they said, we do not want an invisible God. We don't want it. We want God to enter something physical that we feel connection. Make us some item. I don't care what. And we want to speak to this God through that thing. We don't want. We don't want to talk to the unknown, to invisible, some divine power. No, we're not interested in it. We want closer relationship. This was the argument now. When finally he begins to say, okay, I'm the God, they didn't think that it's the golden calf talking. Thinking God is finally back to us. Now finally we'll be able to communicate. The question is, according to the law of the Torah, what are the three sins that you have to give your life and never agree to commit them? Someone comes to you and says, break Shabbat, if not, I kill you. You have to break Shabbat. You're not allowed to die. If he tells you, throw the Torah on the floor, if not, I kill you, you have to throw it on the floor. You're not allowed to die. Eat pork or I kill you, you're not allowed to die. You have to eat and not die. If he says to you, kill someone else, if not, I'll kill you, you're not allowed to kill someone else. If we say, go with a married woman, have full relationship with her, or your mother, or your sister, the worst sins of the Torah, or I kill you, you have to die and not agree to do it. If he says to you, bow down to this idol, worship an idol, pray to an idol, pray to the sun, pray to the moon, if not, I'll kill you. You're not allowed to cooperate, you're not allowed to worship any idol in any way, and you have to die. That's the case why Aaron didn't die. He had to say, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, kill me like you kill Kur. I will not cooperate with any idol worshipping. Why he didn't give his life? That's the question. No? What do you say? So you say Aaron is different because he's the leader. The leader doesn't have to give his life. Why? Because then no one else will be there. It's going to be a lot worse. Then everybody will worship the idol. 
It's a nice, like they say in America, nice try. Nice try. But there's a different answer, yes? That's what the Gemara say. What's behind this whole golden calf? Did they really wanted to worship an idol? Of course not. The only reason they did it is because their eyes were on these beautiful non-Jewish girls. They saw a lot of goyot out there, not far, where the goyim used to be. How are we going to go to them? With the nation of God, he just gave us the Torah. How are we going to do such thing? So in order for us to actually be able to do that, first we have to announce or denounce the covenant and the agreement that we made 40 days ago. And how we can do it? Here we do. Idol worshipping in public. We believe in this piece of metal? Of course not. We're not that stupid. We, us, us right here tonight, would not believe in such thing. They were much, much, much in a higher level than us. But desires are desires. The Gemara says, Sex crimes is the hardest thing to resist. That's what the Gemara says. The Gemara even brings examples of the biggest, holiest people in a history. How a woman turned her head completely upside down and they were about to commit a sin and destroyed everything they ever built. Much like that. Mara brings examples. Buria, Rabbi Meir, Amram Hasida, many examples like this. Yosef Atzadik, Vineshet Potifar, Shimshon and Delilah. Some actually failed. Some succeeded, some failed. Mara brings it, but Rabbi Elazar ben Dordaya, there's not one sin he could have done he didn't do. And he did tshuva, he cried until he died. But the Gemara is, you have dozens of stories about these this, this sins particularly. The point is, when you dress Hasidish, when you have a beard and peot and hat or whatever the case is, and you have tefillin and talit, you're not going to feel comfortable going to make a scene with a non-Jewish girl somewhere, right? But if you remove the beard and you remove the peot and you remove the hat and you wear a jeans and you wear a pink shirt with some flowers, right? Then when you already do it, not that many people will be shocked. Why? There was a preparation for it. That's what the Gemara said that is the secret behind this whole thing. But I didn't want to focus on that because we spoke about it many times in the past. I just want to finish here to explain, to explain, Rabotai, what is our own calculation of here? Shouldn't he give his life to, not to cooperate with idol worshipping? The answer is no. What the Gemara said that you have to give your life not to worship an idol is you worshipping that idol. If, the guy said to you, make me a statue, you're an artist, make me a statue of a Buddha and do it with gold here and red here and black here and brown there and do it here. And you say to him, no, I'm sorry, I'm not going to make you an idol because I'm a Jew and I don't believe in idols. It's against my religion. Say, do it or I shoot you. What is the case then? The answer is you're allowed to make it to him. You shouldn't die. 
You want to worship an idol? That's your problem. Do it. I'm not going to die for, for your stupidity. What happens if he's a Jew? Goim also not allowed to worship idols, but you don't have an obligation to go and fix the ways of the Goy. It's not your brother. You don't want to do whatever you want. It's your life. I give you a recommendation. Don't listen. Okay. Your brother. You have to be more aggressive. It's your brother. Everyone is a guarantor to his brother. Your brother wants an idol. You're not allowed to make it. And if he's about to worship an idol, you have to do everything you can to stop it. Even by destroying the idol. Can he sue you in court for the gold? You took the idol and threw it for the cliff into the ocean. You took it, ran to the cliff, Englewood Cliff, and you threw it into the river. The Hudson River. He takes it to Bedi now. It took me, it cost me $100,000 to make that Buddha. You know how hard I worked to design his angry face? Few times we tried and work out. He sues you in Bedin. You have to give him the money? No. no. Nothing. You don't have to give him a penny. What happened if he has dirty magazines, your roommate? He took all them, he buys them for $20 each. He took all of them and threw them to the incinerator. Completely. He comes, where is it? I threw it in the dumpster. I'm suing you. 200 bucks. You have to pay me. You have to pay him? Nothing. Some say even an iPhone you can smash and you don't have to pay back. If you know it's not a kosher, not filter. Take it. In Israel they do it. They grab it from your hand, psh, smash it. iPhone 13. They fold it for you. You don't need to buy the one who folds. <laughs> you have to see in our yeshiva there is a shelf. They put a sign, Kivrot Atava, the graves of desire. Remember when the Jews wanted meat and Hashem brought meat, the birds came, they were eating the meat and dying, meaning the, the, the desire that will actually kill you. So this day, so now what did they do? They could have given the iPhone to another Jew, but I don't want the Jew, the sins to go from me to him. So what do I do? Take a hammer and smash it. And the shelf has, I think, 30 or 40 phones over there. <laughs> they all smashed. Everyone who comes, the first hello to the yeshiva, he comes into the little kitchen on the right. He sees the shelf is full of those phones, smashed. Why? Everyone who comes to the yeshiva, within weeks, want to get rid of this phone. Why? It's a disaster. All the holiness of the Torah comes this phone and destroys. So the answer is, Rabotai, Aaron did not have to die to prevent making this, you know, this golden calf. He didn't have to. Same thing if they want to force a man to do Gilui Arayot. If not, they'll kill him. He has to die. What happens if they want to force a woman? They want to force a woman. A married one, Jewish married woman. Come be with Mustafa. Be with him, if not, we'll kill you. She has to die or no? In the time of the Gemara, there were 400 boys and girls that the Romans captured in Jerusalem, put them on a boat, and sent them to Romy in Italy to work in prostitutions. They already understood that these holy Jewish kids, why did they take us to Romy? There's only bad reason for it. They want to use us, you know. So they all say Shema Israel, and they all jumped into the water and drowned. 
they rather die than to let all these filthy Romans fulfill their filthy desires on them. This kind of suicide is mitzvah or sin? Big mitzvah. It's to die on Kiddush Hashem. Woman willing to die, not to let this filthy man do what he wants to do to her? For sure she's going to get a huge reward for it. The question is, does she have an obligation to die? Man has an obligation to die, not to, not to, to commit Gilui Arayot. A woman has to commit, to, to die, to, to kill herself, not to agree, or no? The answer is, the woman doesn't have to die. Why? Look at Esther and Achashverosh. Esther had to go with this Goya king, this Achashverosh, to save the Jewish nation from death. If you have to die, not to agree, die, just die. Or who gave you permission to live with this Goy king, even though she only saw him once every few months, because he had all these women taking a number, you know. And it, no, they, the way the king would choose them, if he remembered their names, he see one that he likes, they all walk in a garden, those who want to be with the king. So he takes his cane, you're going to see him pour him soon, and he send the cane to the woman, meaning she grabs it and he takes it. She got the, the evening with him. The question is, obviously Esther would rather never to be with him. In first place, why she went there with Mordechai's mission to save the Jewish nation from a holocaust? Everybody asks, how can it be? The answer is, a woman doesn't have to give her life. Why is it? Who knows? Because in relationship, the man is active and the woman can stay passive. Not, not interested. What are you going to do? Put a gun to her head? She's not interested. She can cooperate in a scene against her will, where a man cannot do that. You can't force a man to commit a scene without actually enjoying it. He won't be able to perform, but a woman doesn't have to do anything. She just stay passive and cry. So meaning, because of that, some of the Mepharshim say the woman doesn't have to give her life. Chaz v'shalom, she gets such a situation. question is, what woman want to live after this? That's another issue. What Messed up the, her life. What happened to the, sem uh, the seminary girls that uh, they said, yes, I'm ready, we're going to take them? Yeah, they took the pills. 92 of them died. That was a heroic thing. They all died. They took the pill and they all died because the Nazis wanted to... Yeah. I want to remind you, next Monday there's no lecture. I'm going to LA for the weekend. Bezrat Hashem will be back in two weeks. Tomorrow we, as usual, in Brooklyn, 8 p.m., 2286 Coney Island Avenue. I always forget things. What did I forget to announce? Oh. Hopefully by tomorrow I'll remember. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen.